After um, Easter, we have these solemnities. So we, you know, of course, we have Pentecost. We have uh, the Most Holy Trinity today, and then we'll have Corpus Christi next week. But um, I was considering this week how many different ways that I've preached on Trinity Sunday. Because in, in doing so, I always like to try to convey something about who God is or the nature of God. Now, we remember that to call God a mystery or to say the mystery of the Trinity or to say that um, some things about God are a mystery are not to say that the existence of God or who God is is contrary to reason or irrational. It's to say that there are elements of God which are beyond reason, right? That the finite mind cannot understand the infinite. That just makes sense. And furthermore, all that we experience in this life is physical, right? For the most part. I mean, we, have, we do have, of course, emotional experiences. We do have the experience of, of the bonds of love and things like that. But anything we seek to prove generally is something that, you know, you can sort of experiment on, you can see, you can, you know, et cetera. Um, so when we look to questions of eternity and God, the mind fails. Like, there's just only so much we can do. So anyway, the, you know, there's the little things you might, tell, you might tell kids about about the Trinity. How is it that you can have three persons with one divine nature? How is that possible? You know, you use little things like, um, you know, water, steam, and ice, right? Three, three different types of water, but taking on a different form. Or as I like to do, Kool-Aid, Jello, and popsicles, <laughs> which I maintain are all the same substance um, in different forms. But, but more traditionally, there's two ways of kind of going about what it is that, that we could possibly know about the Trinity. And one is sort of top down and one is bottom up. So one begins with propositions about God, who God is in his nature. And I've done that homily. I did that two years ago. You can go back and listen to it. And then last year I did sort of the bottom-up approach, which is there are things about God we can know because we're created in his image and likeness. So there are some things about us that are like God. And so there are some things in our experience that can tell us something about God, namely the family itself, the, the desire for our for a man and a woman to come together in a bond of love, and then through that bond of love, it can be generative or it can be fruitful children. So too, with the Father and the Son, there is a bond of love, which is itself, you know, fruitful. It is the Holy Spirit. So you can go that approach too. But I didn't want to do that. I thought I'd take a different tact, a different angle today, and it's quite simply this. There are some things in life that are black and white. There just are. Now, we get into danger, we get into trouble, I think, as a society, when we try to claim things are black and white, which are not. Those are the things that tend to lead to, to serious problems among peoples. But there are some times in life where we have to take a stand because it's either true or it's false. So this is one of them. God has either revealed himself as a trinity or he is not. And so my argument today is quite simply, why do we believe that God is a trinity? Because he said so. Please stand. I'm just kidding. You're going to get out that easy. 
<laughs> I'm not, it's not gonna be that short. Um, <laughs> because God said so. All right, did he say so? All right, fair enough, good question. Is there a Bible? There's a Bible. Did he reveal himself? Yes, he did. Abraham re reveals himself to Abraham. I will be your God, you will be my people. He has revealed himself as father to Abraham and to the Israelites and for hundreds of years revealed himself largely as a father in this fashion. And then in the fullness of time, he sends his son, right? And, and Jesus claimed to be his son and Jesus claimed to be God. Very specifically, in fact, he claimed to be God. In the gospel of John, when they asked him who he was, he declared that, I am. And that word I am is in Hebrew is the same word that God named himself to Moses from the bush, from the, bur the burning bush. Moses is like, okay, I got to go to Pharaoh. Who do I say sent me? They all have gods with names. Who are you that I might say you sent me? And, and the word translated is I am who am, Yahweh. Yahweh sent you. So when Jesus in the New Testament says, I am, he is saying, Yahweh. This is why they accused him of making himself equal to God and they sought to kill him. That's why the charge of blasphemy. So Jesus claimed to be God. God revealed himself as son also. And then post-resurrection before the ascension, Jesus tells his disciples, the Father will send the Spirit in my name. The Spirit will come, and that Spirit is the very love of us. It's, it's the very part of God that we share as Father and Son, and you will be given a share in that Spirit. And not only there, but also it, you know, at the Lord's baptism, the Spirit descends. Of course, at Pentecost, the Spirit descends. The transfiguration, the Spirit descends. And so you, in those in those two scenes, baptism of Jesus, transfiguration, the, the blessed Trinity is made, is, is revealed, is made present, Father, Son, and Spirit. So God has revealed himself as this. You might say, well, how do I explain it? Why do you have to? This is a different perspective. I mean, you can, sure. I can spend all kinds of time talking to you about begotten, inspiration, if you want. You don't, unless we have a class. We'll do a class, maybe we'll do that. It's a little opaque. But it's not gonna get you through the day because at a certain point, the mind fails. At a certain point, our intellectual grasp of God isn't enough because when we're living life, when we're dealing with suffering and adversity, when we're, we're facing difficult decisions in our lives. And, you know, even all of the good things, the intellect will fail in trying to explain what God is up to. Of course it will. I mean, what an arrogance of the creature to be able to say that he could understand the creator. There's no way we could fully understand God as he is in himself, let alone what he's up to. He might show us a little bit. He might reveal it to us a little bit. And in hindsight, often we can look back and we can say, okay, that kind of made sense. But largely in the moment, the intellect just fails. And there is, there's a reason for that. I mean, I've spent 
my pretty much my, actually, yeah, my entire adult life studying God, studying things about God, filling up my mind with knowledge about God. But there's a really big difference between knowing things about God and knowing God. And at the end of the day, when life gets unbearable and hard, knowing about God doesn't help much. Knowing God matters. Because knowing about God always remains a mystery, but that, that experience of God, that relationship with God, is really the thing that's going to pull you through. And ultimately, right, so we're, we have intellect and we have will, right? The intellect seeks truth, the will as its perfection, the will seeks love. And what gets you through the day as a human being with your wife or with, with your loved ones is that act of love. The intellect can only do so much. It, it, it has such, such great strengths and it can assist, right? It can ex- assist our lovingness. But even if, you know, even if God remains a mystery and we can know some things about him, our ability to love him can be as much as we can muster. I think about it with your wife. She remains a mystery to you. <laughs> and that's in a good way. I don't, ladies, I don't mean that in a bad way. I never criticize you. I only criticize the men. Um, but you know, your beloved, you may know a lot about her, but she still remains a mystery. Actually, if you think about it, very often in our lives, we remain a mystery to ourselves. I mean, just that self-understanding we're after, we, we remain a mystery. But and so how much more than with God? Ultimately, what he is after are people who choose him despite the failure of our intellect or the, the incompleteness of our intellect to know him. That's ultimately what matters the most. Now, there's plenty of books. I I would not trade all of the education that I've had for anything, um, save a greater relationship with God. The greatest among us as a Christian, if we could enumerate that in some way or evaluate that, which we can't, but really the, the greatest among us is not the one who knows the most about God, the one who loves God the most is the one who's really, really excelling, if you will, in the spiritual life. And then my last point is this. Try to, this is impossible, but let's give it a shot. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. It's impossible. Let's do it anyway. That sounds like human beings. All right, so um, try to conceive a little bit, just a little bit of how immense God is. That from all of eternity, God existed. God has always existed as a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that at a certain point in eternity, because eternity is not linear, but at a certain point, God chose to create time, time itself, linear, and chose to create stuff, Maybe that stuff ended up banging. Maybe he made the big bang. Maybe he started everything down its evolutionary road. How he worked in that, it's, it's, 
we're not really sure exactly. But there had to be a start. There had to be a cause. There had to be a first cause. Philosophers have always known this, and science has a hard time arguing against causation um, because it's, it's implicit in the, in the scientific method. But so there was, there was a time when nothing was, and then God chose, God in his greatness and majesty chose to create the universe, right? To God, the universe is just minuscule. And then in that universe, created all of the stars, all of the planets, all of the... And within that one planet, he cre- created the beasts and the animals and, you know, nature itself. And then perhaps helping along the evolutionary path, he at some point bestows upon the animal a soul, and thereby you have the creation of man. All of this is consistent with Catholic theology. And you have ensoulment, which is the form of the person, which is rightly said to be the creation of the human person. And then after millions and millions of years, he created you. Just all of that time, even beyond time, and then in time, and then the universe, and then the galaxy, and then, you know, and then the earth, and then all of the millions of years of the earth, and then all the way down to you. And what's amazing about all of this is he knew you back here. He already knew you and loved you. He knew when you would be born, how he would make you, how your life would begin, how it would, how it would kind of go, and how it would finish. He knew all of that. He knew you, he knew us, and he loved us deeply. And at a certain point in, in, in that road, prior to us, of course, he sent his son because the people he had created had gone astray, and he needed to fix it. And he didn't say, fix it yourselves, because he knew we couldn't. And not only did he fix it, but he made it better, because he entered into what he created. God, who created the universe in the palm of his hand, explodes that universe, enters into it, makes himself small to enter into that universe and in that world and to die for us because of his great love for us. That's how special every single one of us is. I mean, it's really amazing to consider that the God of the universe loves us and knows us that well, clearly better than we know ourselves. This is the kind of God we have. My hope is that as we consider this, it should fill us with awe and amazement but also just immense gratitude. You know, we get hung up when we suffer, we suffer, and it's real. It's not fake, it's real stuff, and it matters. But when we look at our lives in light of all of that, you know, a lot of the things we complain about and are concerned about are pretty minuscule. This was the experience of Job, right? When he had that experience of, 
complaining about God, and then God showed up in his immensity, and Job said, never mind, (laughs) never mind, now that I see you, no questions, no more questions. It'll probably be like that. But if there's something I could convey today, it's that, how this amazing, how this infinite God in his immensity bestows this great goodness on each one of us and calls us to himself, calls us to beatitude, blessedness, happiness for all of eternity with him. That's how amazingly loving he is. Let us rejoice in that. Let us be grateful. Let us truly appreciate the best that we can, all that our God has done for us and will continue to do. Now please stand.